You're listening to a message from Highway Church from one of our elders, Alan, on Father's Day. Enjoy. It didn't become a national law until Richard Nixon finally did something. There's something he did that was right. I looked up in, in Hebrew the definition of, of father, and you know, in the Hebrew language, it all starts, they call it pictographs, it's little pictures, symbols of things. And there's two symbols that put together make up father. The first is the letter that signifies an ox, meaning strong. The second letter signifies a tent or a house. So together it means a father is the strength of the house. And when you get two of those oxen linked together, the more experienced one leads the other. And as in the family, the father is the elder, the leader, and the teacher. Now, once again, Pastor has introduced me as one of the elders. He doesn't mean to signify anything about age. Dennis gets very queasy about that, Pastor. You know what I love about this church, too? Everybody's here informal and having a good time. I grew up in a church where you had to come dressed for church. I mean, dressed, dressed. And if you weren't dressed just so, um, well, that, that depended on where you were going to sit, if you got in at all. So, you know, I said, I, don't know, I came to the idea, I don't think church is for me. But, but somewhere I think God is there for me. And most of my life was a struggle to find where he was. I knew for certain where he was not. And I often looked to my own family and everybody else. And, you know, I became a father, I calculated this, 13,150 days ago. My son Jay, my first son, was born, his birthday was yesterday. And you know, it's great, too. Um, you know, you go through Psalms. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring reward from him like arrows in the hands of a warrior. I love this. Are children born in one's youth. And it doesn't matter how old you are when they're born. It's your youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. I happen to be a lawyer. I go to court a lot. I really like that line. They will not be put to shame when opponents are in court. Heritage. In the Hebrew, it means an assignment. You know, we think of something you get, something tangible. It's an assignment. Children are an inheritance. An inheritance means a possession until the rightful owner comes back to claim it. The rightful owner of our children is God entrusted to us as parents to guide, guard, and govern. Three words I love, and I'm going to tell you something. I said to Judy, my wife, I think I want to talk about guide, guard, and govern. Instantly, she comes up with all these scriptures about guide, guard, and govern. Talk about a great helpmate. I mean, I get these ideas, see, and Judy makes them into something. Genesis 128, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And to Abraham he said, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you 
and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come. Be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Boy, you know, I read that the first time. That's, that's pretty good for the Jews. What's that do for me? I'm not sure my bloodline actually comes from Abraham. But then you read Galatians 3, 7. It says, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So I realized when my son was born, wait a minute, I'm a descendant of Abraham? I'm on the team. And now I've got a role to play. You know, you can sit on the side like, oh, this will be great. Now I'm in the game. This is terrific. <laughs> Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Well, we know the wisdom of Proverbs, and mostly, you know, it's not like a scorecard how you're doing when you read Proverbs. It's an inspiration. It's a guidance. And I think too many people look at it and say, oh, gee, you know, I'm falling down here and falling down there. And you look at yourself, your own behavior, and you look at your kids, and you say, this just isn't working out right. This is not perfect. This is not the way I wanted it. This is not the way I dreamed it. This is not the way the book said it ought to be. And you know the parable of the they call the prodigal son. I mean, here's this young guy. Well, maybe the father made a couple of mistakes with him in his upbringing. Maybe he didn't. Who knows? But the younger guy says, hey, give me what's coming to me. That's interesting, too. Give me what's coming to me now, not all the prosperity that would be there later. Just, just give me what I can get now, and I'm out of here. I'm on my own. And as somebody once said, he spent it on wine, women, song. A comedian once said, and he also spent the rest of it foolishly. That's a little bit of a joke. It's not mine, okay? That was on the Johnny Carson show. You don't even know who Johnny Carson was. Forget about it. Forget about it. It's a failure for him. Life is a failure. Now he's, he's, he's envying the pigs. For a Jew, this is really getting low. Now he vows he's coming back. Now even, even before he says anything, he comes back, his father's waiting for him. Knows he's coming back. He doesn't say anything. The father knows his heart by his actions. He sees him, he's waiting for him, he comes. And he rejoices. Now the oldest son, who's had all of this going for him, what does he do? He can only think of himself. And he wants to value himself by all the things he's done for the father. Value doesn't come in what you do. We don't value our children by what they do for us, or how they look, or what they seem to accomplish in the world. We value them because they are a gift. A gift from God. The older son never thought about any mercy of his father. Didn't see that. Was not excited about restoration of the family. Didn't greet his brother. <clears throat> he was still only thinking of himself, partying, with his friends. Now, 
we look at, at that parable, and, and the father there is, is in many ways, the, we look at it, and we should in this parable, is the picture of, of God our Father looking for us and his mercy and his love and his prosper, prosperity that he holds. But, you know, when, when we look at that sometimes, we see a picture of ourselves, sometimes regrets, sadness. Some of us would say, how did, how did this happen? How did my younger son take off, and how is it my, my older son doesn't even appreciate all we've got here? And what, is, what does the future hold here? You know, in some ways, it doesn't look that good. You know, I went through trying to find the uh, example of a the really perfect father. Looking for examples, I couldn't find anybody that was, well, I found one I'll talk about later, may have been perfect. At least I could find no flaws. But the Old Testament... Boy, if you're ever feeling down on yourself, whew, filled with parenting failures, kid failures, crazy families of every sort. I've always thought, you know, that's, that's really evidence that the Bible must be true. Because those middle-aged monks, those scribes, they would have cleaned this all up, you know. They'd have said, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're toiling for hours and days and years. We're going to put together a good picture, see. And this will persuade the heathen that we really got something good going here, but they didn't do that. Even in Deuteronomy, and I'll read this at some length, it says in chapter 4, After you have had children and grandchildren and have lived in a land a long time, then you become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of God, your Lord, and arousing his anger. I call the heavens and the earth as witness against you this day that you will then quickly perish from the land. You will not live there long, and you will be destroyed. But then later he says, <clears throat> this is God to Abraham, but if you then seek the Lord your God, you will find him. You will seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in the later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him, for the Lord is merciful. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant he made with your ancestors. Hmm, boy, that's loud, huh? Did that blow out your eardrums too? <clears throat> so whenever we talk about this subject, and I talk about fathers and stuff, people say, whoa, wait a minute. <clears throat> people start crying. Is that out of rejoicing? Is that out of regrets? A lot of times it is. People say, gee, I didn't have the perfect father. I haven't been the perfect father. So there's rejoicing, there's regrets, and there's time for reconciliation. <clears throat> Micah 7.19, they talk about, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea, and out of that came the idea of the sea of forgetfulness. <clears throat> there really is no mention of the sea of forgetfulness as such in the Bible, but I, I, I kind of like that concept. There's a lot of stuff that I've thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. My father and I sat down one time. And I said, hey, what are we going to do here? <clears throat> a couple of things. I talked about some things. He didn't remember those things. He talked about some things. I didn't remember those things. We both came to the conclusion, hey, it's off in the sea of forgetfulness. Let's forget about it. What's happening today? What do you want for dinner? You know, let's move on. 
Forget those things that are behind. My son was born. You know, you look in the Bible, it talks about the blessing. And it talks a lot about the firstborn. I'm not sure that the firstborn is particularly as important to us now as it used to be, except this. I'm the firstborn of the firstborn of the firstborn. But when my son was born, there was this big change of player positions in my family. Suddenly some people became grandparents, great-grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins. Amazing. Everybody heralded the day. And when my son was born, within moments, I had him in my arms, and I sat with him for about an hour. And I told him how he was in the mind of God from the time God built the whole universe. And this was his time to finally be here. And our family has waited thousands and thousands of years for this moment. And now you're here. And you are utterly unique. There's nobody ever like you before or ever will be again. God gave you to mommy and daddy, and I explained who mommy and daddy were, and I went through the whole family, and I said, look, now you're going you're gonna to learn to eat. You already started to breathe. You're going to do something we call crying. That's okay. You're going to grow. You're going to crawl. You're going to walk. You're going to run. You're going to jump. You're going to climb. You're going to learn to read. You're going to learn to talk. You're going to play games. You've got a great life ahead of you. You're going to grow up to do great things. All of these things are possible for you because God loves you and Mommy and Daddy are going to take careful care of you and we're going to guide you every step of the way and there's nothing for you to worry about. We got it handled. I was very glad that I spoke those words to him. The next day, was we had fun. We called them. That night even, I called people. Family, hey, get up. It's 4 o'clock in the morning. Just want to let you know you're a grandfather. <laughs> hey, you, you're not now. And so forth. I'm glad I said those things. <clears throat> because then I get a call. I went home from Women and Infants Hospital in Rhode Island. I get a call from my wife. There's something terribly wrong with our baby. I go back to the hospital. They've got him in this um, special care unit for infants. And you got to go in there with a, like a hazmat suit on and scrub down, and there's some, some very nasty situations in there. There are babies in there that have no limbs. Go in there, and they, the doctors say, we've done all these tests. It's not good. He has contracted a viral infection in his eye. He will be blind. It will travel up his optic nerve to his brain. He will be brain damaged. There's nothing we can do about it. And they, they want to go into this mode of preparing you for a, God bless them, they want to prepare you, okay, for a life of, of burden and misery. So I, we go in, and he's this little incubator thing, and he's got tubes in his head, and his eyes are all swollen and shut. 
So I sat down, spent the day with him. And the first thing I said to him, you remember the talk that Daddy had with you yesterday? I'm going to add something to that. Daddy is not a liar. Everything I told you is true. You are fine. You're perfectly healed and whole and complete. There's nothing wrong with you. There's something we'll talk about someday that tries to cause trouble. But we always win. Tough day that day. Sit there. Okay. Next day. Looking at You know, the swelling's gone down. His eyes start to open. And I'm looking at him. I say, wait a minute. Jay, you, you see me, don't you? You can see me. Now, the doctors the day before had said, we don't want to alarm you, but this is the worst case of this we've seen in 27 years. I said, well, well how's this doing? Oh, well, we should do some more tests. I said, no, no more tests. No. I've got what I want. I'm leaving with my son. Get the tubes out. Get him out of this box thing. We're going home. And we went home. Today, he has better than 2020 vision. <laughs> so, where does a parent start? It seems to me that you first of all, we start by offering thanks to God for blessing us with the responsibility of leading and directing the lives of young people. That doesn't just mean our children, it can be. Nieces, nephews, grandchildren, neighbors' children. And we ask God to give, give us a heart that is drawn to him in love and compliance to his perfect will and to empower us in the task of leading these young ones. Very important thing, too, is to pray. How does the daddy treat the mommy? People don't talk enough about that. That's what kids see by example. How's daddy doing with mommy? What's that all about? If I were to ask my kids, and they're both away in Washington, D.C., I have two sons, but if they were here today, and I'd say, what, what does Father's Day mean? I think they would probably say exactly what they said a long time ago. Father's Day means that mommy kisses daddy, and daddy goes out in the rain to barbecue hamburgers for us. And then we open presents that mommy bought for us. And then daddy hugs and kisses us for the presents that mommy bought. And then we wrestle on the living room floor and play a game. Well, that would be good enough for me. And I think the most important thing is, you know, too many times we, people, we look at our, our parents, our kids and stuff, we say, I want to plan out what their life is going to be. I want them to do what I did or they, you know, do something. We don't plan their destiny. They have their own destiny. You know, the best we can do is, is talk about their, their character. And, and, you know, the best way to build up their character is through the Word of God. And, and your examples to them 
where they can see that the Word of God works in your life. I would love to have been a football coach, and I think coaching is important. You know, I look at that. How do you, how do you teach a kid to ride a bike? You've got to be a good coach. You explain a couple of things. You equip them. Get the right size bike. Put a helmet on. Put some training wheels on. Oh, they fell off. Okay. That happens all the time. Now you get to discover what a Band-Aid is. Okay? <laughs> That's just to keep the dirt out while God's going to do the healing. And okay, and then we're going to get back on the bike. This happens to everybody. Dispel fear. This is nothing. Okay? There's no fear here. You're going to get back on the bike. This is fun. I, I always say... <laughs> I don't do anything unless it's fun. Now, my idea of fun may not be your idea of fun, but, you know, there's a plenty of fun for everybody. My son's four years old, playing on a swing set that he got for his birthday. What happens? His, his ring finger in his right hand almost gets completely chopped right in half. He's hanging by a thread. Okay, now I'm at the hospital. There's blood everywhere. Okay, let's dispel fear. Let's get the blood array. Okay, it's hanging there. You know, now here, see this little thing, this white part here and this white part here? That's the two parts of the bone. See? That's what the bone looks like inside. See? And the doctor says, well, you know, <laughs> I don't know, this is going to work. I said, well, look, I, you just do, do what you can do. I said to my son, this is what's going to happen. Now, you were just born four years ago, whole and complete. That's the way God made you. That's the way he wants you. Okay? Now, this doctor is going to sew these two th parts together because we don't want to lose one. Okay? We don't want to lose this part. We want it sewed on. He's going to do that, and God's going to heal it. Okay, the doctor does his little thing. You got all these dire reports and all this and all that, and you got all these pain medications you can take and all. Wow, you know, this is really tough, you know. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. We're going to go. <clears throat> he never asked for a pain pill. It's totally healed. He doesn't. He remembers my story of it, but he doesn't remember the event. Even the scar is gone. He said, "Oh, he'll have no. He can't have any feeling in that finger ever again. He's not going to have a fingernail." And well, thanks for sharing. <laughs> like a lot of fathers, I wanted. To, I want to get my son interested in playing baseball or something. You know, throw the ball around. I, I couldn't get him to throw play catch. Not interested. Not interested. I remember our church group at Faith Christian Center, we took a bunch of kids to a Paw Sox game. I said, I've never actually seen a game before. Okay? And so what do you do at the game? Well, you've got a bunch of kids, and you go and get the refreshment stand. How many hot dogs can you eat? You get a couple of souvenir banners, and okay, you come home late at night. Okay, in the morning, having breakfast, you say to them, what, what would you think? What would you think of the game? He says, God wants me to be a baseball player. <laughs> okay. That, 
That didn't come from me. I'm not, are, God told you to be a baseball player? Okay. From that day, he became a baseball player. Practiced almost every day. Throwing, throwing. So what does daddy got to do? Daddy's got to learn a lot about baseball. Daddy's got to coach baseball teams. I never played baseball. But this is his destiny. This is what he wants to do. So I'm there to guide, guard, and govern this. It's his goals. We have a, we have a, th a thing in my family, too. You, when you get a goal, you, you don't quit. You don't quit. My son had another goal. He said from an early age, I'm, I'm going to go to the United States Naval Academy. Does well in school, he does his things, he applies. Okay, you gotta get you gotta get nominated by a senator. So this one senator has these meetings and all these applicants come and about an hour he spends they spend with my son. There's about twelve of them. Comes out of that meeting and says, um, This senator is not going to nominate me. And I said, Why? Said, they didn't like any of my answers. They're all kind of anti war people. I'm not about war. I'm about serving. They didn't like my answer. Well, there's another senator. He, we don't even hear from him. Call his office. He doesn't want to be bothered interviewing your son. Okay. Well, how's this going to work? A senator that doesn't even want to talk to him sends us a letter. I have nominated you for a position at the United States Naval Academy. <laughs> okay, God, we'll take it. <laughs> Never met him. Okay, good. So now he gets to the Naval Academy, and, and you know, we have, as I said, we don't, we don't quit things, we, but you can choose a better goal. He calls his, his baseball, his high school baseball coach one time. That's the other thing. His parents... You know, some parents say, oh, you're just going to do what daddy tells you to do or what mommy tells you to do. Well, it's a good thing also to choose good mentors for our kids. This is, this is a complicated <laughs> world, okay? Good mentoring. Well, I don't know everything. So he calls his baseball coach for advice because he says, look, I'm thinking of quitting baseball. So the coach says, let me understand this. You could have gone to a dozen different colleges who only wanted you to play baseball. Why did you choose the Naval Academy? He says, because I want to be a naval officer. So the coach says, well, then I think you already made your choice a long time ago. I think that's a better goal, don't you? So then he called me, of course. He called me later. I didn't know that he talked to the coach yet. So he asked me, and I told him just about the same thing. And he says, he thanks Dad. You know, that's, that's the same thing that the coach told me. I, I, I was so gratified. Great. He calls the coach even before Dad. Because <laughs> he trusts the coach, and he knows the daddy trusts the coach. And that finger, good thing that got healed because you couldn't play baseball without it. You couldn't be at the Naval Academy without it. You know, we talk about love a lot, and I think about guide, guard, and govern. 
But Judy found me this great scripture. Psalm 3.28. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that you shall go, and I will guide thee with mine eyes. Jeremiah 3.4. Wilt thou not from this time cry unto me, my father, thou art the guide of my youth? John 16.30. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you in all truth. And Timothy talks to mothers about being the guide in the house. Guard is another word for guard. It's, it's, it's protect. Malachi, God is the father of all people. He is especially the protector of the father and of the fatherless. May the Lord bless you and protect you. The Lord in Deuteronomy says, I will protect you from all sickness. I will not let you suffer from terrible diseases. Psalms 23, 4, even when you walk through the darkest valley, I do not be afraid. I will be close beside you. My rod and staff protect and comfort you. And govern. And judges, Gideon says, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. There's all of these examples and all of these things that, you know, when you get that into your spirit, that, that's how you show love. My, my kids always say, Daddy, at least your love isn't the sappy kind. And, and sometimes it needs some discipline. Uh, my father, um, a couple of Sundays ago, Jennifer was talking about spanking. My daddy had this leather belt. I, I, got, I got whacked a few times. It didn't hurt me. You know what it did? Taught me to run fast. <laughs> My grandfather went after me one time, too. I learned a good trick. I learned how to dive out of a window. <laughs> Although I, I, I later suspected that my, my grandfather decided not to catch me. He said, no, let him get away this time. And I appreciated that. <clears throat> it also taught me my dad, even when he was older, could run a whole lot faster than I thought. <clears throat> I'm, I'm almost into the woods from where our house I'm almost into the woods. Got a few yards to go when I get tackled. <laughs> Learned to run faster then. So I was looking around. I come across, well, let's go to Joseph. You know, I, I love Joseph, but he mostly gets lost with the shepherds and the wise men and the animals in the manger scene. We know a little bit about his genealogy. We don't know much about, about his early childhood or anything. But there he is. He's betrothed to Mary. And he finds out Mary's pregnant. Wait a minute. In those days, the law says Mary gets stoned. And if we can find the one who got her pregnant, that, he gets stolen too. But we know that Joseph was a righteous man. What does that mean? He must know the word of God. And he must have great love and understanding in his heart. Even before an angel speaks to him and says, 
we know that because, you know, I can hear voices in the night too. I don't know that they're always from God. Thank God they're not. You know, and he, he was just going to put her away secretly so nobody would know and that would be fine. And a lot of times today in our world, we, we, young men will say, <laughs> that's your problem. I got nothing to do with that. Oh, by the way, and you know that, I didn't, I'm not the cause of this. See ya. It's not Joseph. He takes Mary to be his wife, and Jesus is born. And he, you know, there's little caveats in the Bible. Talk about stepfather. Okay. Joseph never approached Jesus as, I'm just your stepfather. I'm going to guide, guard, and govern you. And he's working as a carpenter, and we know that that's a tough job, especially in those days. I think carpentry also involved like stone cutters and all this kind of stuff. Okay, he had some muscles on him. Joseph also, you know, okay, everybody comes and says, the wise men come. And, and then Joseph hears from an angel again. He says, you better get out of town. Because Herod's got his men coming. And in the dead of night, Joseph, talk about guarding and protecting your family, in the dead of night, takes off for Egypt. I figured something, too. I don't, think, I don't think that Joseph worked alone as a carpenter. He must have had a bunch of guys that he worked with. I mean, I've hired some carpenters who took off in the dead of night, and I never saw them again. <laughs> <laughs> and the work is unfinished. Never to be completed. He never comes back. Still looking for one of those guys. But apparently that's not Joseph. No, no because he does come back. Right? And, of course, on the way back, I mean, here's a guy, he uproots everything. We're, go we're going to Egypt. I don't know anybody there, but I'm going to guide, guard, and govern this family. And somewhere along the way, other children show up. There's at least there are four brothers that are named, and there's at least two daughters. <coughs> on the way back, he gets another warning, and he goes to another town, and the next thing you know. And what is he doing all the time? He's not just teaching... Jesus is about carpentry, every single year they're going to the feast. And, and he's never regarded as his stepfather. If you remember there when Jesus is 12 and, and you know, that time where they've gone to the feast and they're coming home and they, they can't, they suddenly realize Jesus is missing after three days. Always significant, the number three in the Bible. Three days, three days, and they find him again. And Mary says, how could you do this to us? We're so worried, your father and I. One thing I always liked about Mary is, I think there's three times there that it talks about all this stuff, people talking about Jesus and the things and prophecies. And, and Mary kept these things in her heart. She didn't blab to everybody all over the neighborhood. I can remember. I can remember some kids I grew up with. Their mothers be saying all kinds of things. Oh, he's gonna he's gonna be the quarterback for Notre Dame. I know that, you know. And okay, all these things, all this stuff. No, it's his own destiny. Don't 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 tell him he's growing up to be a failure. 
I got very close to Joseph as a young man. Actually, his name then was Frank Pulowski. My father's father, Walter, a guy named Walter Zwerbelis, got cheated out of being a dad. Uh, he worked uh, in a Mac truck factory, the first one in New Jersey, and uh, contracted tuberculosis and died when my dad was only three. Now, in those days, people they died at home. They stayed at home. He was sick at home. What's my grandmother going to do? She brings in boarders, guys that work at the Mack truck factory. And, and another guy shows up. He works in a steel mill. His name is Frank Pulowski. Who's he? We don't, we don't know anything about his history. Not even sure what year he was born. He came from Poland, not speaking a word of English. Don't know what he came from, but he knew what he was going to. He was going to the promised land. And he ends up as a boarder in my grandmother's house. And he knew my dad's dad. And when my, my father's father, Walter, died, he, he left him two things. He left my dad his name, also Walter Zwerbelis, and he left him a ring. That's it, a signet ring, this ring. Frank Pulowski marries my grandmother. Oh, wait a minute. You've got a kid. I'm working like a dog in the mills. Uh, she kicks the borders out. Frank is going to support everybody. He can barely speak English. What does he do? He goes to work. If you wanted to set your clock to 5 o'clock in the morning, go and look and see if Frank is leaving the house and going to the mill. Works six days a week, work, work, work. Taught himself to read. He's my perfect example in my life of guide, guarding, and governing. Never spent a dime on himself. Never had a car. Never coached his son or his other son to ride a bike or do any of these things, but they knew that they could rely on him to guide, protect, and govern them. My grandmother certainly did. And all he wanted was, you're going to succeed. If I can do what I did and got here and taught myself to read and he became quite educated in politics and other things and nobody ever knew of any vice that he had, just like Joseph, says, if I could do all these things, you're going to succeed. You're not going to do this, you're not gonna, but you're going to go to college, you're going to raise a family, and I'm going to be proud of you. He wasn't a churchgoer, I'd say. Well, if, if, he, if you said... Frank, we're going to church. He'd say, is this a wedding or did somebody die? <laughs> but he was faithful. My dad always got upset when somebody would refer to him as his stepfather. My dad would say, even as a kid, I was puzzled by this, but it's not puzzling. He'd say, my father gave me my name, Walter Zwerbelis. My father is Frank Pulowski. Now, what's so hard to understand? Joseph completely adopted baby Jesus with his whole life. And then he sort of disappears. We don't hear from much of him. We don't hear anything more. What happened to him? We presume at some time before the wedding, he, 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 when Jesus does the first miracle, he died. But what do we know? Frank Pulowski just drifted off to. Everything that he knew he was going to accomplish was accomplished in my dad 
and another son. There's a poem that sits on my desk. I, I don't... I wouldn't say I read it every day, but I read it, read it at least a, once a week, and it's been on my desk for many years. This is a poem that uh, it's attributed to G General Douglas MacArthur. Anybody here remember Douglas MacArthur? Just trying to gauge the level of my audience here. You know, some people don't remember World War II or Korea. Poem goes like this: "Build me a son, O Lord, who will be strong enough to know when he is weak." brave enough to face himself when he is afraid, one who will be proud and unbending in honest defeat and humble and gentle in victory. Build me a son whose wishes will not take the place of deeds, a son who will know thee, and that to know himself is the foundation stone of knowledge for him. Lead him, I pray, not in the path of ease and comfort, but under the stress and spur of difficulties and challenges. Here, let him learn to stand up in the storm. Here, let him learn compassion for those who fail. Build me a son who will master himself before he seeks to master other men. One who will reach into the future yet never forget the past. And after all these things are his, add, I pray, enough of a sense of humor so that he may always be serious yet never take himself too seriously. Give him humility, so that he may always remember the simplicity of true greatness, the open mind of true wisdom, and the meekness of true strength. Then I, his father, will dare to whisper, I have not lived in vain. All he was thinking about was his, his son. Now I read that, and of course it starts out, build me a son, O Lord. Well, yep, asking the Lord to help do this, but as we know from what I said at the beginning, parents have to pay, <laughs> we, we, got, we got our part. And it was after a few years that I realized, you know, wait a minute, this just isn't about my sons. This is really about me. My sons can't be, can't conform to this unless I do. So this is what I got to work on. We always have to work on ourselves. We have to do that. The um, and we never know, as I said, we never know where where our kids are going. We always we always hope that they're going to be more successful than us. <clears throat> My younger son David. Uh, Gave, gave Judy a, a, a smartphone. He says, there's an app on this smartphone. He wants to send her money using the app. Now, this is a switch. The kid's going to send the money to her. So I think, well, this is a good idea. Okay, well, for months, Judy's been struggling. She can't get this thing to work. The money isn't here, and he she calls him periodically, and, and it, it, it ain't coming. So, <clears throat> so finally he says, the other day he says to Judy, Mom, you and Dad are very highly educated people. This app, it's not even up to sixth grade level. <clears throat> 
So I have, I have very tangible proof on testimony from my sons that um, they're doing better than we are in some things. <laughs> and that's, that's pretty good. I just want to close with this from Proverbs 19.14. And we talk about you know, things that we can do as parents and everything else. And I know what my parents did for me. I really do, and I really appreciate it. Um, it reads this way. Houses and wealth are inherited from parents. Yep. Okay, I'll take that. Houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. I got that too. Thank you. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.